it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian Fitzpatrick is standing by, the congressman, former FBI guy from Pennsylvania, and Will Hurd, former Texas congressman, will weigh in on what's happening at the border and beyond. Uh, and also, let's find out what's happening as we get closer and closer to the midterms. I know no one cares till after Labor Day. We do. And more than likely, if you're listening to this show, you do. But for the majority of Americans, don't really zone in until then. So we'll discuss that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You are seeing a combination of this demonization of the police and progressive prosecutors, which those two things working together are having a terrible impact on the most vulnerable people. It's the crime, stupid. Dems watch and ignore crime in every major city rise to intolerable levels. Yes, GOP candidates barely mention it, but guess what? The first one to understand this and what voters care about is that wins. Hear that, Lee Zeldin, J.D. Vance, Dr. Oz, Herschel Walker? Number two. The fact that when you're going to go into a former president's house, yet clearly Biden and Garland, they had no strategy, no anticipation about saying we're going to take unprecedented action. So we better have an unprecedented plan for disclosure. You would think so. That's Chris Sununu, hardly a right wing firebrand. Trump on the offense two weeks after the raid on his resort. His legal game plan shows itself today while blowback on the FBI and DOJ has them reeling for now. Number one. I was asking them, hey, where are you headed? And uh, do you think that the border is open? And they said, Joe Biden's border is wide open. We think that he's a great man because he's providing us with so much opportunity. And that's why we're making the trek. Unbelievable, right? Getting worse. That's Savannah Hernandez, a great reporter at the border. That's the story at the border and the Port Authority in New York City. As more illegals are sent to NYC on the Texas taxpayer's dime. Mayor Adams may be mad at Governor Abbott, but should be directing his anger at President Biden as a mini war between the states takes root and won't end there. Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick joins us now from Pennsylvania. Congressman, welcome back. Good morning, Brian. Congressman, why don't you think the border's bigger news in Washington? Well, it is. I mean, it's, you know, you guys are the only people that are talking about it. You know, good luck trying to get any of these other networks to talk about it, Brian. But what I think everyone needs to focus on, it's not just the border. You know, we said after 9-11, our country was so unified and we said never again. Never again were we going to allow terrorists to infiltrate a cockpit and treat a commercial airliner like a guided missile. Look at all the steps we've done to protect our nation from creating the Department of Homeland Security, fortifying cockpits, deploying sophisticated AT screening devices across all 450 airports in America, deploying a federal air marshal program. And now we have a wide open border. So we're spending all this money, took all these steps to keep our country safe. And yet if you're coming through the South, it's open season. And I think that's what everyone really needs to focus on because there are many people on the chair watch list that have been interdicted. Uh, no kidding. And on top of that, you know, Barack Obama, whatever you thought, he wasn't as, as strict as uh, Donald Trump, but he wasn't letting everybody in. 
This administration is letting Central and South America govern itself. We're not even using any influence there, which is dangerous. If you look at the elections in Colombia, you know what happened in Venezuela. You see what happens uh, in these other nations as they get destabilized. What could happen in Brazil? Why are we letting this danger lurk in our hemisphere? You'd have to ask the administration that, Brian. What's frustrating for, for myself, Will Hurd will be on here. He'll tell you the same thing. In Congress, you know, trying to get 435 people on the same page is tough, um, particularly with immigration. It's been tried many times. Uh, President Trump uh, obviously uh, took a lot of action to enforce the border. Uh, President Biden has undone a lot of that. The executive in this circumstance with regard to the border, because they oversee the Department of Homeland Security, have an awful lot of say, and that's why uh, you've seen such drastic change between the two administrations. I, I want to talk about what happened in Mar-a-Lago two weeks ago. Jim Trustee is now going to be one of the president's attorneys. Uh, what I was struck by is that this raid happened, and almost all sides agree, at the beginning of an investigation. Part of the argument in not releasing the affidavit from the government's point of view, from justice's point of view, <coughs> is and the begin we don't want to jeopardize the relationship at its early stages. Does it surprise you, Congressman, as a former with a deep FBI background that you have, that we would raid a president's home in the beginning of an investigation? Absolutely not, uh, Brian. I've executed a lot of search warrants in my time, especially uh, in my time in New York City. Uh, The search warrant, when you go over in a major way like that, that's at the end of the investigation. You never do that in the beginning because what you do in the beginning is you stay covert. You collect evidence. You talk to witnesses. Once you go overt in that manner, then the case is now public, uh, and it becomes much more difficult to investigate. So one of the things that I'm going to be looking at, Brian, um, you know, and I've encouraged everyone, number one, reserve judgment. It never makes sense to get out in front of your skis before you know the facts. But for this warrant to have been justified, and I've been a supporter, uh, Brian, as you know, my former agency, supporter of law enforcement, uh, but I'm taking a very critical eye to this because – for the Bureau to be justified in what they did here, there would have to be such explosive information in that affidavit yeah. that, number one, that it wasn't just classified information, but it was the apex of classification, what's called SAP, Sensitive Access Program, type information, which is generally limited to three things. Uh, it's nuclear information, it's covert operations, ongoing covert operations, and sources and methods of the intelligence community. Um, so it's a very high bar. And moreover, they have to show that not only was that apex type classification type information there, but there was no other less intrusive means to get it, meaning that they got stonewalled by the attorneys. Uh, they did not have any cooperation. That's a high bar to meet. Now, is it possible they met it? We'll find out when this warrant gets unsealed. Um, Judge Reinhardt will uh, – the DOJ has until Thursday to redact. Judge Reinhardt will decide what, redact, what redactions he'll accept and which ones he won't. But I hope they don't heavily redact it to the point where it renders it useless because if it's – if it's cleaner and uh, less redactions, I'll be able to read through it and tell you a lot, uh, give you a lot of insight about what's in there and what isn't and whether they truly were justified or not. But, Congressman, what they'll do is they'll overredact. They'll send it back and goes, you overredacted, and it'll take another week to get forward, and this story <clears throat> right. will exist. And I think I should just make it clear. They basically confirmed that this is the beginning of an investigation. <clears throat> this isn't the end. We don't want to jeopardize an investigation at its early stages. So they said what you just said, you would never invade someone's house at the end, let alone the a former president of the United States who everyone said on June 3rd or 4th walked into a meeting and was happening and goes, guys, I appreciate what you're doing. Anything you need, let me know. 
Now, some whistleblower came forward, but I understand a whistleblower came forward in between that time and around June 20th and said there's classified stuff in there. Whoever they are, uh, their identity can easily be concealed. I don't see how that could be a problem. We'll see. And now all of a sudden, Merrick Garland thinks about it for weeks before he finally said, okay, go get the warrant. Gets the warrant, waits a weekend. So you as an FBI with the FBI background, how does that line up? It's an emergency. I'm going to think about it for weeks. It's an emergency. I'm going to hold the warrant for days. So we don't know a lot. But if we judge actions, it doesn't seem to warrant the emergency aspect to this. Yeah, Brian, again, I mean, you know, being a supporter of law enforcement, I always am cautious to say we don't know what we don't know. But that being said, there are a couple of red flags for me here. Number one, that they're saying that this is the initial stages of an investigation. Brian, we wouldn't we wouldn't lead off a, a, a you know, low level white collar crime investigation with a search warrant, let alone an unprecedented action like this. That's number one. Number two, in order to get a search warrant on, in any case, but the, the bar is especially high in a situation like this, you have to be able to identify with precision the specific item you're looking for, that that specific item is in, in this specific place, and that specific item in that specific place is there at this very moment. So it requires constant, yeah. updated, refreshing, real-time information. So if they knew with precision what they were looking for and where it was, it took them nine hours to find it, Brian, which, which makes me question the source of their information. Uh, and then third, if, in fact, that APEX-level uh, classified information existed, how is it possible that myself, Mike Turner, uh, any members of the House Intelligence Committee were never briefed on this if it was such a national security issue? So, again, reserving judgment till we see the affidavit, but those are some really significant questions we have. I want you uh, – another guy that I think you respect um, and calls balls and strikes, Congressman Dan Crenshaw, was asked this yesterday on CNN. Cut nine. I'm not one to withhold criticism uh, and, and even make my own side mad. I, I want to get to the truth. And, but I will be honest with you here. It, it, this, it, it's hard to justify what the Department of Justice did here, in my opinion. And, and here's why. Here's, here's what it really boils down to. It, it's, it's, it's not a question that it's bad to have classified material in a, in a non-SCIF environment, right? It's, it's a non-secret compartmentalized infrastructure there. That's wrong. But there's ways to, to, to mitigate that. There, there's ways to resolve that issue. And I still haven't seen any evidence that he was even at, that Trump was even asked to give these documents back. He's been cooperating with them on these issues for a while now, for months. And so why take it to this extreme extent? So and knowing this, Brian, in the big picture, so the FBI under James Comey and even under Christopher Ray has gone criticism under the president and some on the right. When you look at Andy McCabe, when you look at Peter Strzok, when you look at Lisa Page, when you look at Kleinfelder, uh, Klein Smith, who was actually convicted of changing uh, uh, a Pfizer report, uh, a Pfizer request, and then when you even see what Jim Baker did. So all these reasons, it, there's a lot of skepticism, James Comey in particular, on the right about the FBI. So if Christopher Ray gets his call from uh, Merrick Garland, says, hey, listen, I need you to, we're going to have to do a raid on the president's compound. Do you think Christopher Ray has a right to push back and say, I have an obligation with my department to stay out of politics and I, and I just don't feel comfortable doing this. Can can he do that? Yes, he can. Um, he's clearly in a position to do that. And again, another question we're going to have, uh, Brian, is, you know, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And on the 
whole continuum of evidence collection techniques. On the most conservative side, you have the passive service of a subpoena with a future production date. On the most extreme side is the dynamic execution of a search warrant, which is what you saw happen. There are a lot of steps in between, Brian, that can be done. One example that we did frequently uh, was something called a forthwith subpoena, where you serve the subpoena at the door. You don't enter the premises, but you demand production then and there. There's a whole range and a continuum of options that fall short of a search warrant. And this is what, uh, when, when uh, the FBI leadership comes in before our intelligence committee, I'm going to ask them all the questions that I just laid out to you. But also, perhaps most importantly, Brian, FISA and Section 702 are up for reauthorization this, uh, next year. We didn't have the votes to pass that before this happened. And I am very concerned that we're not going to be able to get that across the finish line because, yes, reforms are needed. Clearly, uh, myself, uh, Darren LaHood, Mike Turner, we have a whole team of people working on FISA reform to make sure that what happened in Operation Crossfire Hurricane never happens again and never can happen again. But at the same time, the 702 lapses, we're going to be putting ourselves back in a pre-9-11 security posture when it comes to our counterterrorism capabilities. And that's a big concern. And I want to know from the director, did you consider all these other things, the Absolutely. fallout, uh, the, 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 hurt, the, the harm that it was going to cause on the Bureau? Because agents need the support of the public to do their job. When we knock on doors in the neighborhood, if every other door is getting slammed in our face because of politics, our country is less safe. Agents can't do their jobs on counterterrorism, right. counterintelligence, cybersecurity cases, and the like. And I think you might be the most valuable congressman on either side during this because of your background, your willingness to criticize your party, your conservative credentials, a valuable state, uh, the way you understand where politics start and where they end, which I think Marjorie Taylor Greene selling shirts to fund the FBI is sickening. And that is unbelievably uh, self-defeating if you're a Republican. Here's Jim Trustee, who's been hired as President Trump's attorney on this. He says he's planned – they're taking action as early as today. Cut eight. Coming soon. It should be something that uh, gets publicly filed, so the whole United States will get to read this thing, and I think that's important to the president. He's been very transparent through this whole process. And as you can imagine, Mark, because I know your, your chops, I know your background in terms of you know, just incredible legal knowledge, this is going to be Fourth Amendment-based. You know, the litigation before Judge Reinhardt is all about First Amendment, frankly, uh, media versus DOJ. But we're going to weigh in very strong and very hard on behalf of the president who never should have been subjected to the search warrant, and we're going to be attacking that search warrant. So I don't know how you feel about taking that on, but that's going to be their offense. Look at the Fourth Amendment. Yeah, so that goes to the reasonableness or unreasonableness of the search or seizure. That's what the Fourth Amendment is, obviously. So they're going to look at exactly what I just laid out, Brian, on the continuum yep. of options. And that's why all these facts are important. What was the level of cooperation by uh, the former president's attorneys? Uh, were they completely cooperative? Did they start to cooperate and then stop? Did they stonewall them? These are all important because this is going to go to the reasonableness of the investigative and evidence collection technique the Bureau ultimately decided to go with here. Well, uh, Congressman, thanks so much for joining us. Our, our audience needs to hear from you on this, and hopefully you'll be in the, in the front and center. You bet. Thanks, Brian. You got it. He's on Foreign Affairs, Transportation, Infrastructure Committees, but most of all, his FBI background, very valuable, because we have a ton of questions. I'm willing to admit I don't know everything, because I don't, but nobody does, except for maybe Merrick Garland, and he's got to be questioning himself right now to a degree, unless we're totally surprised by something, but... 
Already they're showing that Keystone Cops. Already it went nine hours. It never should if you know exactly what you're getting. Already we find out they grabbed his passports and shouldn't. Already they went for the safe and it was empty. They went to Melania's clothes. What could have possibly been in there? Will Hurd at the bottom of the hour, another uh, a common sense uh, lawmaker who isn't in the business anymore but has got the CIA background, Brian Kilmeade Show. Your call's next. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Everywhere you look these days, there's a poll showing a Democrat tied or even leading in states they were expected to lose. That includes Tim Ryan in Ohio, who leads by about one point over Republican J.D. Vance in our polling average. Meanwhile, Mandela Barnes led Republican incumbent Ron Johnson by four points in a Fox News poll this week in Wisconsin. And the 538 average in North Carolina shows a dead heat between Democrat Sherry Beasley and Republican Ted Budd. So that's all interesting. Uh, that's what 538 Nate Silver said. It is tightening up, and there are some other reports on that. But nobody's factoring in, number one, uh, a lot of these polls were so wrong in the past, number, number one, especially when it comes to Senator Ron Johnson. Listen to what Nate Silver went on to say, cut 26. But there are a couple of things to keep in mind before you get too carried away. First, some of these states are places where the polls have aired in the past. Joe Biden trailed by only one point in the polling average in Ohio against Donald Trump in 2020, for instance, but he actually lost by eight. And the polling problems in Wisconsin are notorious, including incorrectly picking Hillary Clinton to win in 2016, and also expecting Democrat Russ Feingold to win the Senate seat when Johnson held on instead. Yeah, so that's always happened. Ben, you listen on WOKV, where the side of a Steelers-Jaguars brawl in the stands over the weekend. Hey, Ben. Good morning, Brian. Loved your appearance on uh, Fox and Friends this morning when you referenced our dear Senate minority, Mitch McConnell. I have a theory on why he's so recalcitrant and downplaying their potential candidacies in those various states. If Trump-backed supported Republican senators get elected, his days as minority or majority leader, if that's the case, will be over. I'm not sure, Ben, because he does have a lot of support amongst his colleagues. When he's ready to retire at the end of this six, they look like it might be Cornyn or Thune. But even because it's not a popularity vote, it's effectiveness. I'm not sure that people like Pelosi, you would think Pelosi would be ousted, but she's got a power base on the left. I think he's got the same one on the right. Don't I, I think you might be looking past it, how you feel about him and how Trump supporters feel about him as opposed to the way his colleagues do. But I'm shocked he's not more aggressive. 
the talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Since Joe Biden's become president, over 1,200 migrants have died on U.S. soil. That's unheard of in the history of this nation, and over 100,000 Americans. His policies are not humane. They're inhumane. They're killing people. When President Trump had illegal immigration down 83%, when it was at a 40-year low, how many Americans weren't dying of fentanyl? How many migrants weren't dying? How many, uh, how many, how many millions of dollars were the cartels not making? How many known suspected terrorists weren't making across the border? This president, it, what he's done is almost treasonous. And every day I wake up, I'm upset. I wish I could say that he's overstating it. He's upset because he used to do this for a living, and he saw how much progress we made. Uh, Will Hurd is not one to get into hyperbole. Uh, his book, America Reboot, backs that up, an idealist guide to getting big things done. He's also got a rich CIA background uh, and a former Texas congressman. Congressman, was Tom Homan uh, spouting off, or, or is he uh, 100% right? No, he, he, was, he was pretty right. He was pretty right. Look, he, here's what's crazy. Since President Biden took office, more than 3 million people have been apprehended um, entering the United States illegally. And that's from 150 different countries. And this number, that 300 million number, doesn't include gotaways. And, and gotaways is a term that CBP uses to describe those that enter the, the country illegally, but it's able to capture. Like we knew somebody come in, but we couldn't catch them. And, and, and according to news reports of, of talking with CBP, that number is close to a million, right? And so, and, and that's over these two years. So you're talking about four, what we know of, just what we know of, four million, right? And, and so, so these numbers are just astronomical, right? And, and to try to put more of these numbers in context, you know, I, I look at there, – there's so many stats that we don't know when it comes to border security, but there's a few that we do. Right? We know apprehensions. We also know a term called returns, and, 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 and returns is basically people that have been deported um, immediately. It's like somebody comes in the country illegally, and within hours or days, they're returned to their home country. Right? That's, that is different than somebody who went through um, an immigration court or whatever. When, so, so I look at, you know, over administrations, the number of apprehensions that year and the number of returns, because the difference between those is is a number we know of what is the net increase of illegal right. uh, of people that have come into our country illegally coming in. When President Bush was in office, that number was negative. He was actually returning more people than were were um, were were coming into the country illegally. Under President Obama. The average over his eight years was an increase of about 140,000 people a year. Like that, that's that again, subtracting apprehensions from the returns. That's the size of a city of McAllen. So we basically added eight McAllens over 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 Obama's term. During President Trump, that delta was about 338,000. That's the, that's the city. That's the city of Louisville, right? So that's four Louisvilles. Under President Trump, I mean, under President Biden. 898,000 people a year. That's San Francisco, right? And, 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 and that's, just, that's just what we know. It's an insane number. And the fact that what, what, what blows me away is the fact that federal Democrats aren't talking about this. Local, local Democratic mayors, local Democratic judges are upset. They're frustrated. They're angry with what's happening because also this is a public safety issue. Locally, at the border in these communities, 
and this overwhelming um, uh, influx of people is just, it's insane. So Savannah Hernandez is an investigative reporter was on last night on our channel. Listen Uh to what she said, uh, what she found at the southern border. Cut five. I was asking them, hey, where are you headed? And uh, do you think that the border is open? They were telling me they were going to California, of course, that they were headed to New York, Washington, D.C., Georgia, Tennessee. They're going yeah. everywhere. And they said, Joe Biden's border is wide open. We think that he's a great man because he's providing us with so much opportunity. And that's why we're making the trek. So you got hundreds of people who showed up at Lincoln Hospital in New York City. You know why? They were getting uh, free shoes, free phone. Uh, they were getting health care services, and they were being told what schools the kids were going to get to go to. If you think that America is so flush with cash and room that that's okay, I think you're talking about the wrong country. That's not the way you do it. It's not fair to the other people waiting in line. This thing is intentionally broken. It, it is. And look, you're also – those are the people that actually got through. Think about the hundreds of thousands of people that spent their life savings to to, to tra- drug traffic to, to human trafficking organizations who were raped along the way like yeah. like this is this is like the 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 infrastructure that is is not just it's now not just through central america when you have a when you have people coming to this country illegally from 150 different countries that's all over but so so we need to dismantle this the the trafficking organizations that are operating and moving people that are collecting money that are promoting um, these these services. It's not humane to allow people uh, to come here and have to live through live in tents and and deal with these this perilous journey. That's not humane. And so so we should be we should the the humane thing would be addressing the root causes in those countries uh, where they're fleeing from. And, and and that's how, how we should do this. And then and then also people and, and you've heard me say this and we've had this debate many times. This this is happening because we're treating everybody who's coming to the country illegally as an asylum seeker. Wanting to come get a good paying job is not a reason for getting granting asylum. Can't be. There are legitimate yeah. reasons to have asylum. And those people that have those legitimate reasons are being pushed out of the system because it's being overwhelmed. Um, by these folks that are coming here um, that, that President Biden and his his administration is letting in. And, and I said this before, Will Heard. One of the things is we do need people to work. We do need – there are jobs mm-hmm. to be filled. So there should be an expansion of the work visa system and an organization of it. There should be bolstered up with personnel at these consulates across the country. We do want to uh, be a bastion and an outlet for people who have no other choice and give people a process to becoming citizens here. While all these other nations are dying like Japan and Russia mm-hmm. and France, no one's coming there. They want to come here. I get it. But if we could organize this – America is not anti-immigrant. Republicans, as far as I know, uh, are not anti-immigrant, especially with only 62 percent of the workforce working and with 11 million open jobs, many of which are manual labor jobs. So if there if your intent is pure, we could we could start building this up. But no one's going to talk until the border is under control. I never in my lifetime saw an administration ignore an issue. Do you know we had Congressman Gonzalez, who you know, went down mm-hmm. to, I think it was Guatemala, and said, you know, what what have we heard from the administration? They said nothing. So there's no pressure. There's no, hey, we're taking our aid back unless, or there's an incentive. You bust, you bolster your border, uh, and we're going to give you X, Y, and Z. There's just, the hands are off the wheel. 
Look, absolutely, and, and amen to everything you said. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, right? Like this is, you know, the United States of America has benefited from the brain gain of every other country for the last couple of decades. It's one of the secrets to our success. And if you're going to be hardworking and uh, contribute to our economy, our culture, our society, you're welcome. You should come here. Let's streamline legal immigration. But to your point, until we get this illegal, the, the illegal immigration under control, it's going to be hard to address that. It's going to be hard to address things like DACA and Dreamers. And so, you know, th- this is this is the thing that's frustrating. It's when, you know, Democrats always want to talk about how they're the champions of immigration, but they can't do anything because they're, they're, they're so incompetent. And, and let's look at places like Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, the Northern Triangle, historically over the last 30 years, that those are those three countries have been the countries that have contributed to uh, the most people coming here uh, illegally, right? Those countries do not want to see their populations leaving, and and they want to a- address the root causes of significant violence, lack of economic opportunity, and extreme poverty, and and we're not talking about large. Uh, countries, right? El Salvador is, is six, 6 million people. Uh, Guatemala is about 18 million people. Honduras is about 10 million people. Um, the, 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 we can help them address that, especially with our aid. And, and this is where State Department, USAID, um, all these other philanthropic organizations, yeah. we should be having a national strategy on how we deal with these, these places as a region. You know, that's what we should be doing. And, and the fact that the administration is not even engaging in that is is another problem that they don't understand um, how to how to deal with this issue. Absolutely. So, Congressman, how do you explain the Hispanic vote seems to be almost fifty fifty Republicans and Democrats? Did you ever think you'd see that? Uh, of course, I I did. Right. Like, look, everybody thought I was crazy when I first ran for office back in two thousand and nine. Uh, nobody thought a black Republican was going to win in a seventy one percent Latino district. And here's what I said at the time. Guess what? Uh, Latinos are like every other group of, of, of people. We care about putting food on the table, a roof over their head, and taking care of the people they love and being, you know, and the people that they love being healthy and happy and safe. So when you go in and show up to places that Republicans haven't shown up before and talk about those issues people care about, then you can see that change. And, and here is what happened in, in 2020 in South and West Texas, where a lot of people on the coast were shocked at what happened. And when you think that about 40% of people that live along the border ha- are involved or have a family member involved in some form of law enforcement, right? Yep. And then you have another 40% who have a family member are involved in the energy sector. Yep. When you have a party that is that is anti anti law enforcement, that is anti energy, that's what guess what? That's going to impact your livelihood, and that's what they were doing. And then even now. One of the things that's missing in these debates, these cities along the border, they get 50 percent of their their operating costs from um, uh, um, legal immigration coming across their border. Right. So when you when you see an increase in, in illegal immigration, they're having to use their resources to deal with that and the impacts on their community. And that's a drain on their resources. And so, so that's why these Democratic mayors and county judges and city officials are completely upset. So, so this is another thing that why in this, in this upcoming election in 22, um, we're going to see record, record if not near record turnout 
of Latinos voting for for Republicans. So in New York, as you know, Governor Abbott desperately is trying to get the world country's attention and the White House's attention. So he started uh, busing uh, volunteers who wanted to go to Washington, D.C. from Texas to Washington. Then New York started complaining. He said, I'm not doing it. All all your illegal immigrants are coming from the administration. We're flying them in without your permission. But I will send some to you. And he started sending bus after bus. I think there were up to like 30 busloads of illegal immigrants being dumped in New York on on Texas taxpayers' dime. We have a war between the states over this right now. Having said that, Governor Abbott taking extreme measure to address this issue— why is Beto O'Rourke supposedly within single digits of Governor Abbott? Look, it, it, it's 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 a good it's a good question, and 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 I, I would say that um, one of the you know in in Texas the the response and the issue of Uvalde is still on top of people's minds, especially as kids are going back to school. When fifty percent of teenagers are afraid of going to school because they think they're going to get shot at school. Uh, that's a problem, and the bungled response um, to to the Uvalde shooter uh, that is still that is still an an issue. Does that reflect uh, on the governor? I, di- I didn't realize that. Um, you well, think that reflects well, well, on the governor? Well, so 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 part so part of it is part of the issue is that a number of DPS, the Texas Department of Public Safety, um, they had officers on the scene, and and so there is some some questions about. In essence, the state response, right? That's 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 an that that is a that is something that's happening. But but again, that single digit number. I, I, if you were to look back in previous elections, is it really that close? It's hard for me. It's hard for me to um, to to believe that um, or to think that it's it's as close. Um, I haven't looked at some of these issues, but but look, uh, this when it comes to South and West Texas. I bet you you're going to see um, you're going to see numbers for Greg Abbott um, that you haven't seen since probably George W. Bush. Um, people voting for for Abbott because um, they recognize they're so mm-hmm. frustrated and, and sick of the Democratic Party and how they're handling the, this issue of immigration. Uh, Will Hurd, last question to you is: We have one year since the Afghanistan exit, which uh-huh. embarrassed this country beyond measure. Uh, when you find out uh, that Zawahiri was in Kabul. And then you warn Taliban you better not have an alliance with Al Qaeda. What do you think about that? And do you also fall, fall in line with the Republican report that said ISIS is the major threat now? Look, so, so is ISIS a major threat? One hundred percent. But Al Qaeda is still a threat. Al Shabaab is a threat. Al Shabaab just um, didn't attack the Hyatt Hotel in Somalia and killed like thirty thirty innocent people. Al Shabaab has always been trying to talk about how can they impact and, and, and hurt. Um, uh, uh, Americans, right? And so, so the fact that the number one wanted terrorist in the world thought it was okay yep. to take his tea on the balcony <laughs> of a of a of a of a swanky house, you know, that does we no impact. Oh, and by the way, it was a house owned by the Hakanis. Who are the biggest thugs in, um, in 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 the history of Afghanistan? And the fact that one of the Haqqanis is 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 the the minister of interior, in, in, the equivalent of almost like our uh, it would be kind of be the similar equivalent of, of our attorney general. Um, it's just it's 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 crazy that they thought nobody could care. Now, positive, 
U.S. intelligence is able to still um, say, hey, we're watching and we can have an impact. Um, um, and so there was no question about can you continue to do over-the-horizon attacks. Uh, but the fact that the, that a terrorist felt it was okay to be in the city center in this location is a sign that nobody that, that people are not afraid and are concerned with what with what America is doing. And it's also a sign that one of the concerns was you do not want Afghanistan to become like it was in the late nineties, a training location for gotcha. terrorist organizations. Will Hurd, always educational to speak to you. Always appreciate your level head. Thank you so much. I right, brother, always a pleasure. You got it. One eight six six four oh eight seven six six nine. Brian Kilmey. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. It doesn't really make me a conservative, does it, that I don't want to be absolutely robbed blind? Is there some number at which I go, you know what? You are just taking my money and wasting it and letting people steal it. I mean, I, I get the... I get the idea that money can never be transferred except in a leaky bucket. I accept that. But this isn't a bucket anymore. It's just a handle. Wow. I, I, always, uh, I don't watch Bill Maher live. I watch a lot of his clips and see some stuff online. I'm just not used to watching and understanding it's on Friday nights on HBO. But more and more, I just think that that's the way American people speak. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's true. I'm not a conservative, or they start with, I'm not a liberal, but, or I'm not a conservative, but. But right now, I don't know many people saying, I am so glad we just spent $700 billion. And they told me it was deficit reduction, but then they admitted the day they signed it, it's really about climate. Not many people think that spending that type of money in this type of environment helps anyone except for some lunatics on the left. And I really resent the fact that they mislabeled the name of it. That's what he's discussing. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 7669 the number to be on the show. We're coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. And, of course, a lot of what's going on around the country really begins and starts in New York, uh, ends in New York, I should say, especially when it comes to this legal immigration thing, which we'll discuss. Michael Goodwin from the New York Post will be with us shortly. Wrote a great column that really, from the news, New York Perch, that really is reflected around the country is... Have we overdone it with the Donald Trump investigations, even for people who are anti-Trump, Liz, save Liz Cheney? So we'll talk to him, and we're also going to talk to David Sokol, who's chairman and CEO of Teton Capital, chairman of the board of Atlas Corp., 
And uh, he's the CEO of NetJets. He's got a great new book out. Uh, he's going to dedicate himself to turning this country around, American perspective, defending the American dream for the next generation. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You are seeing a combination of this demonization of the police and progressive prosecutors, which those two things working together are having a terrible impact on the most vulnerable people. Yeah, you think so? That was Tom Hogan on Sunday Night in America. It's the crime, stupid. Dems watch and ignore crime in every major city as they rise to intolerable levels. Yes, GOP candidates barely mention it, but guess what? The first ones to understand this is what voters really care about. They will win. Hear that, Lee Zeldin, J.D. Vance, and Herschel Walker? Number two. The fact that when you're going to go into a former president's house, yet clearly Biden and Garland, they had no strategy, no anticipation about saying we're going to take unprecedented action. So we better have an unprecedented plan for disclosure. Yeah, that was Governor Chris Sununu. Trump on the offense. Two weeks after the raid on his resort, his legal game plan shows itself today, as early as today, while blowback on the FBI and DOJ has them reeling. We'll discuss that with Michael Goodwin. Number one. I was asking them, hey, where are you headed? And uh, do you think that the border is open? And they said, Joe Biden's border is wide open. We think that he's a great man because he's providing us with so much opportunity. And that's why we're making the trek. Investigative reporter Savannah Hernandez getting worse. That's the story of the border. And at the Port Authority in New York City, as more illegals are sent to New York, we're on taxpayers' dime of Texas. Mayor Adams may be mad at Governor Abbott, but he should be directing his anger at President Biden as a mini war between the states takes root. That's another legacy of, of Joe Biden. Uh, we are now at each other's throats when it comes to illegal immigration because he will not address it at its core, at its roots, or anywhere else. Uh, with me right now is Michael Goodwin from the New York Post. Michael, get to the thrust of your column for sure. But what about this war between Adams and Abbott? I think Adams is missing a golden opportunity to be a national figure. Use some of his outrage and get the president's attention. Well, I agree with you, Brian. I think that uh, um, Adams is fighting the wrong enemy here. Uh, the enemy is this uncontrolled immigration. And Adams, as I wrote last week, uh, wants to be effectively a law and order mayor. But with unvetted and unlimited immigration, there can be no law and order. Uh, and so you've got to make a choice here. And I think he, is, he has chosen uh, sort of the democratic position uh, rather than the position of a mayor – uh, of a city that's got all kinds of problems already. And to just say that we can, uh, I, mean, I mean, at last count, there were well over 3,000 uh, immigrants had come here primarily. I mean, two, there are two ways. One is the government is secretly flying them in on these charter airlines. Uh, and many of those flights have landed in uh, suburban New York airports. And then secondly, of course, uh, Governor Abbott uh, of Texas sending the buses to New York, and there have been a bunch of buses in the last couple of weeks. So you, the city is now counted well over 3,000. It's probably going to be closer to four or 5,000 the next time they release a count of these immigrants uh, who, are, who are from the border, uh, who have not been vetted, 
uh, most of whom have applied for asylum, and they can't work. I mean, so what is the city supposed to do with them? And I think that is the question that Abbott has asked. And so I think in, in, in fighting Abbott, Adams is fighting the wrong target here. Of course. It's the federal government that's creating this problem. And by the way, this is what you saw if you were in New York. Hundreds of migrants, uh, some of which were bust. Uh, from here from Texas, lined up outside Lincoln Hospital in the Bronx to get health care coverage, food, and items including school supplies and free phones. The event organized by the city hospital system was billed on a resource and family fun day for the migrants, migrants, illegal immigrants, and their children, many of whom came to New York City in droves in recent weeks. Now they're going to go into overcrowded classrooms where there's not enough teachers. Is this unbelievable that we're, somebody actually thinks this is good? Well, that, I mean, this is, isn't this the, uh, the, the far left's idea of compassion, right, where you just open the border and let the whole world come in and then the government gives them everything? Nuts. I mean, isn't that, isn't that the left's view and, and dream vision of the human condition that, you, you know, whatever you want to do, you can do and the government will just give you the money to do it? Except, of course, if you want to vote Republican or own a gun or anything like that. But otherwise, the government's there to give you whatever you want. Isn't that the idea? Uh, we can't afford it, and I think people are sobering up to that, at least I hope. Here's Dan Crenshaw on the battle between the states. Cut one. Well, look, what he's doing is he's sending a message. I, I, that, that, there's no secret there, right? This isn't a policy move. This is, this is a move of desperation to get someone to pay attention to what we're dealing with in Texas, you know, which is why I support it. Yeah, so we're, will they have a more likely likelihood of staying in the country? Look, Basically, everyone who's crossing our border has that same likelihood. There's millions upon, there's almost two million, I think, we're added apprehensions just this year. That's an unprecedented number. Huge amount of those will stay in the country because the backlogs in our system are so severe that that's going to happen anyway. He's 100% right. And I think that's another legacy of the Biden administration. We're actually warring at each other's throats in our own country, not as individual as states. Texas and New York now hate each other more than ever. Well, that's right, and and it's just unnecessary. But but again, I I think I think uh, Abbott did a very smart thing here in, in spreading the pain around because it was so easy I, to. Yeah. It was easy for the, you know, the media to say, oh, this is just a red state belly aching. You know, they just they're just all a bunch of racists and they don't want, you know, they don't they're hard hearted about these poor uh, migrants. And then you send them to New York and, and the New York governor. And where did they hit New Jersey? And of course, we've already seen in Washington, D.C., perhaps the most liberal city in the country. Right. Ninety seven percent automatic Democratic vote for everything. What's the what's the um, the mayor of Washington, D.C. do? She calls for the National Guard. Right. So we can't have the National Guard <laughs> sealing the border, but we can have the National Guard sealing Washington, D.C. Uh, I mean, this is now I think the hypocrisy is being exposed by the by Governor Abbott's plans. So I want to go to talk about uh, Donald Trump and the raid on Mar-a-Lago as of right now. We don't know. We don't know. We're, I'm going to just make that disclaimer. But it looks like they took paperwork they probably shouldn't have uh, from the White House. Shows how disorganized they were at the end and how the president thought he was going to win at the end. And especially ever since January 6th, they're actually talking about the um, they were talking about getting rid of the president, even on his own party. So they weren't really worried about the paperwork. 
Regardless, idiotically, they took way too much paperwork. I don't know why. Having said that, they were in conversation, 15 boxes back, in conversations in June to return the rest. In the meantime, they said, hey, would you lock that door, put another lock? He goes, you got it. And as a trip, Mr. President, uh, Donald Trump walks by and goes, guys, you're doing a great job. Uh, anything you need, let me know. And then in late June, evidently, there was a whistleblower. And then Merrick Garland decides, after weeks of thinking about it, we have to do a raid. Have to do a raid because we got to get everything back. It's an emergency. Daniel Lofman was on over the weekend. He had the position of the Department of Justice chief of counterintelligence. The chief of counterintelligence was talking to the Trump team, the new new guy. So he was asked about this. Listen to what he says. Cut 13. You're the former head of the uh, division of the Justice Department that's now led by a guy named Jay Bratt, who argued in court this week regarding the potential release of this affidavit that... It may, quote, chill future cooperation by witnesses whose assistance may be sought as this investigation progresses, as well as in other high-profile investigations. Do you agree with his assessment? Uh, Based on my experience at the Department of Justice, that's absolutely correct, especially in the early stages of an investigation. The Justice Department and the FBI want to do everything they can to protect the integrity in confidential law enforcement actions that are being taken. Right, yeah, on a president that's never been done before. You know what I circle in that conversation? Early stages. They're in the early stages of an investigation. So let's kick it off by invading Mar-a-Lago for nine hours and taking everything from the president's passport to blow in, to bring in a safe cracker to open up the safe and going through Melania's stuff. Is this crazy? Uh, from what we know right now, this is insane. Well, Brian, you, I agree with you again. Uh, this is getting to be a bad habit. But uh, uh, I, Fox News is reporting that the judge has basically rejected the government's argument that it all should be sealed and has ordered them to return with a list of red- proposed redactions to the affidavit. But he is not buying their argument uh, because he makes, the, he makes the argument, the judge, that this is an unprecedented search. So I think that's a pretty remarkable development. I mean, this is, uh, this is a magistrate. I'm sorry, not a judge. But and he's the one who, who uh, gave the approval for the search. So I think it's a pretty remarkable development. And, uh, you know, Merrick Garland never fails to disappoint. He had an opportunity. If he was going to do this, he had an obligation and an opportunity, I think, to get the public behind him, to make the case why this was important, why it had to be done, why there was no alternative. Uh, But instead, what we got was him saying very little, explaining nothing, and then you get all of these leaks that are hyperbolic. I mean, the Washington Post used the words nuclear weapons. Yes. Some of the, I mean, the imagery of Donald Trump sitting at Mar-a-Lago giving the nuclear codes and firing weapons. I mean, what, what, what kind of garbage uh, are, are, are these newspapers counting on these sources for that they can never verify the information? It's all leak, leak, leak. I mean, the one that, no, they didn't take his passports. Oops, they took his passports. Uh, that kind of thing, the media is embarrassing itself by just giving the government a pass. I mean, at this stage of the game, how can you trust 
what comes out of the FBI and the Justice Department on first blush. Trust but verify. Make them prove it. That seems a, a reasonable threshold. And frankly, I'm, I'm happy to hear that the judge thinks, uh, the magistrate, that this is now too important to keep secret. I mean, this is a real rebuke for the Justice Department as I read this story. Yeah, absolutely. But you also put in perspective as a, by the way, Brian Fitzpatrick was on, too, and I asked him, too, if the FBI gets a call from the Department of Justice and says, I need you to raid Mar-a-Lago, Christopher Ray, who was so worried about making his, the FBI political and wanted to make it apolitical again, you would think he'd go, are you kidding me, Mr. Uh, Mr. Attorney General? I can't do that. No matter what the re- – unless this is a five-alarm fire, if I go yes. in there, they're going to accuse me of being political and hurt the FBI in the process. But for some yes. reason, he did anyway – so yes, unless they return something we can't foresee, Michael, I don't know what the hell he was thinking either. Well, but again, you would think that that's where the magistrate would come in, and the magistrate would in some way uh, buy into the government's argument. But again, I, th- I think, Brian, that has been part of the problem all along, is that Merrick Garland says he's, he's doing this by the book, Right. But as I say in the column yesterday, there is no book on raiding the home of a former president. It's never been done. And so if you're going to do it, you can't just say, oh, this is a routine matter. We're going to handle it in the routine ways. (laughs) I mean, it's ignorant to think you can get away with it. But that's the arrogance of government. And frankly, they count on the leaks to buttress their case. That's those leaks, I believe, were orchestrated by the Justice Department. That was part of the strategy. We will tell the New York Times, we will tell the Wall Street Journal, we will tell the Washington Post, it's really serious stuff. It's nuclear weapons stuff. It's nuclear material. You know, we can't have it out there. It, this would be dangerous if it, fell, if it fell into the wrong hands. Let's see if that's ever backed up, ever. I bet it will not be. Yeah, we'll see. You also talk about Clinton. He was not uh, prosecuted. And Gerald Ford says, I'm not going after Nixon. We need to turn the page. And what makes this even more perilous is that this admit this president wants to run again. So you, it really doesn't look like you're going against you're going after a retired guy. You're going after a guy that could be coming back as your opponent. You might just, does anyone sit down and even think about the next day? But let's just investigate Trump organization with the attorney general, the Southern District of New York. Uh, Georgia. Some of these are self-inflicted wounds and some out of flat are targeting his friends and his family. And you point that out in your column. Michael Goodwin, thanks so much. My pleasure. Thank you, Brian. You got it. one 408 We're going to talk uh, to you next. And then David Sokol, one of America's finest executives about the state of the economy and the country. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories. It's Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. If we're talking about even a big police department like New York City, 36,000 cops. Everyone thinks, wow, that's a lot of police. They can really control things in New York. But there are 8.8 million people in New York. Let's be conservative about it and say 8.5 of them are good law-abiding citizens. That still leaves you with 300,000 criminals. So it's the 36,000 members of the New York City Police Department against 300,000 criminals. They need to be able to do their job 
in order to protect the 8.5 million law-abiding citizens from those 300,000 criminals. Well, that is true, and that's a breakdown of from Dom Hogan, who's a former district attorney, about what's going on with crime, especially in New York City, which is emblematic of Philadelphia, Chicago, Los Angeles, uh, almost every big and small city. I don't want, I don't want to leave anybody out. So just know, we know it's out of control, big and small. As I mentioned, I was in Memphis doing something with, uh, doing something on Elvis, and we're talking around, talking to all these business owners, and I said, "What's the number one issue? Crime. Number one issue, crime." Really, to diners as well as convenience stores. It's insane. So having said all that, I'm surprised more candidates aren't talking about this up and down. Not just crime is bad, but here's what I would do. Here's where the money's going to come from. Here's how it would empower cops. This is how I'd fill up the academies again. This is how I'd handle it. But instead, all I have is examples of crime out of control, and most of it's caught on tape. Uh, for example, is this 23-year-old family a dollar store worker. She's 23 years old, right? She's in the family dollar store working out. And all of a sudden, these guys start walking in, start stealing things from the shelves. She goes up to confront them. This guy just gets her in a headlock, starts throwing her around. She says, I was physically assaulted in front of all these people. I had to defend myself in front of kids. I was scared to come back to work, but I have to go back to work to make a living. Same thing with CVS. Same thing with Walgreens. They come in, they start taking things on the shelves and say, let me see. I'm getting about $15 an hour. Should I go up there, confront this guy, these groups of people, the ones that raid the 7-Elevens and just strip the stores down? We're the cops. Why should cops go put their lives in line if these guys are going to get out the same day? Easy to fix. I'm telling you, it's so much easier to fix. There's just no will. It's up to the people to to vote that way in November. Who's going to keep you safe? David Sokol next. Next. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. It doesn't really make me a conservative, does it, that I don't want to be absolutely robbed blind? Is there some number at which I go, you know what? You are just taking my money and wasting it and letting people steal it. I mean, I, I get the... I get the idea that money can never be transferred except in a leaky bucket. I accept that. But this isn't a bucket anymore. It's just the handle. And he's talking about Bill Moore. Obviously, the, he's basically the spokesperson for liberals in America, taking target at George Bush famously over and over again, as well as Donald Trump. But he's speaking so reasonably of late. And he was talking about how much PPP money was wasted. He was talking about how much COVID money was wasted. Now he's talking about he sees this check for $700 billion of this other plan that's now out, $369 billion, which is green energy. And he says to himself, how much money are we actually wasting? How much are you taking from me? And if you look at the bracket that, that Bill Maher is in, he probably takes home, if he's paying all his taxes the right way, maybe 48% of his money, over 50% is going to social programs, is going to government and taxes. And after a while, you go, could you just tell me where this is going? And if you do tell me, can you make sure it gets to the right place? David Sokol knows all about it. He's chairman and CEO of uh, uh, Teton Capital, chairman of the board of Atlas Corporation, former chairman and CEO of NetJets and Berkshire Hathaway, and author of the book, American Perspective, Defending the American Dream for the Next Generation. David, welcome back. 
Glad to be here, Brian. Thanks Brad, for having congratulations me. Congratulations on the book. Right now, you're trying to make the country better. You've had all your success in business. Could, can you respond to what, and knowing who Bill Maher is, what he just said? Well, he's right. Uh, you know, the, the fact that we're just wasting money, spending money needlessly, this most recent uh, purportedly inflation reduction bill, which is, I mean, the name is fraudulent. And But it, but it's it's part and parcel of what we're seeing, which is because no one looks to even remotely close to a balanced budget, um, spending money no, no longer seems to affect people. And yet we've got $30 trillion of funded debt plus all of these entitlements to pay off. We're not spending our grandkids' money. We're spending our great-grandkids' great money. And, and it just can't continue. And one of the real elements that has to hurt everyone is, you know, I would rather those government dollars that they're taking from us went to help people that really need help. The fact that they're actually, what is he, $750 million of the just the most recent accounting of COVID dollars went to people that were deceased or did, they didn't go to the people whose name was on the check, et cetera. You know, it just shows you government's getting out of control. When we can't control a billion dollars in $1,400 increments, we've got a real problem. Right. And when you pass a bill that it puts $87 billion into the IRS, I mean, that's unbelievable to me who needs to be armed to a certain degree to enforce it. it and when you have the borders or Marines or Navy that could use their ranks filled, I'm wondering if that's the best way to do it. Also, good luck getting tens of thousands of IRS agents. Where are they going to come from? I mean, we have 11 million open jobs in this country, 7 million out of work, and now you want to go hire IRS agents? Well, and, and you're going to hire this massive amount of IRS agents, unfortunately, not to clear the backlog and things that are in the IRS that are a problem, but, but to come and, and basically be cops on the beat going after average Americans. And, and that's, that's what people are missing. And I, I, again, I feel sorry for the average American because they're the ones going to pay the price. They're the one that when that agent says – gee, we think you owe another $2,000 and you have the option to spend $25,000 to fight it, you're going to spend, you're going to pay the $2,000 because they're going to threaten to take your car, your house, or, or, or you know, go to your employer and take some of your, your salary. Uh, think you about that embarrassment when they do that, when they say, well, there's an automatic withdrawal. It goes to when people are, go to a divorce situation and it comes out of your paycheck and your, and your job knows it. Now the IRS taking money out of your paycheck before you get a chance to get it deposited into your account. They contact your human resources. That's right. There, there, there's an assumption of guilt. I mean, if we just look back to Lois Lerner just a couple years ago, investigating Republicans donating money to proper 501c3s, that's weaponizing your government against you. And that's, that's a, it's, you, you lose control of the government when the, when the administrative state uh, can't be stopped. And, and by adding – I mean, who – name one American that isn't a politician – that actually woke up two weeks ago and said, wow, that's awesome. We're now going to have 87,000 more IRS agents. I mean, it's, it's, it's just an expansion of government for control. And, uh, and unfortunately, you know, wealthy people, because the tax code is so complicated, can afford to, to make sure their, their taxes are right. I don't know anybody that would intentionally cheat on their taxes. But I'll tell you what, for the average American, someone who owns a small business – there, you know, there's thousands and thousands of regulations out there, and it costs a lot of money to, to hire one of the big firms to audit things. I haven't heard anyone complain about President Trump getting rid of a lot of the regulations. He was able to gut a lot of the bureaucracy for small business. They really appreciated it. Uh, while this administration doesn't seem to have an appreciation not only for oil and gas but for small business and the struggles because, David – uh, Stephen Moore did a study and see how much real business experience is in this administration. Almost none. 
So you might be an economist, but if you ran a deli, dry cleaner, or you tried to open up a restaurant, you would understand the reality of business. No, that's right. And it's and it's not what the founding fathers intended. You know, to be a congressman, a senator, or the president was intended to be public service. It was you're giving something to this country, not you're taking something. Like what you, you're doing with this book. And I think they maybe maybe in the future, if you want to do politics, it should be service. You make about two hundred thousand uh, dollars compared to a successful businessman like yourself. That's only that's very little. And the other thing is people look at J.D. Vance and look at Dr. Oz. They look at Herschel Walker. And they say, well, these guys are rookies. So one guy who's a businessman and unbelievably athlete, Dr. Oz is a surgeon, multimillionaire communicator. This is a very talented person you want in government. J.D. Vance, a self-made success story, which and a best-selling author who they made a movie on his life, who wants to take that business experience and that blue and that rural upbringing to Washington. That's a goal. I think that's right. And our, our best governments are those that, that have been run by people with no experience. Now, they have a lot of experience in other walks of life. They can be teachers. They can be business people. They can be lawyers. But we today we've got this professional politician class. I mean, if you look at the, the head of the, the Senate, never had a job outside of, of government. The president of the United States, the vice president of the United States, never had a job out of government. I don't think the minority leader had one, Mick McConnell, either. Yeah, I, I, probably not. And, and uh, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, um, you know, our government wasn't set up to be run by political bureaucrats that are turning into authoritarians. Um, our government was set up to be minimized at the federal level, most of the power at the state level. And and leadership was supposed to be uh, cost you something. It was taking time out of your normal life. David Sokol with us. Uh, David, I want you to hear what the president said about this bill. Doesn't really mention much about inflation. And I'm keeping my campaign commitment. No one. Let me emphasize, no one earning less than $400,000 a year will pay a penny more in federal taxes. This bill is the biggest step forward on climate ever, ever. And it's going to allow, it's going to allow us to boldly take additional steps toward meeting all of my climate goals and the ones we set out. So that can't be true. Well, just the, you start with the name of the bill, the the Inflation Reduction Act. Nothing about this bill is going to reduce in, uh, inflation. And even, Joe Manchin actually said that. Yeah, I say even one of the co-sponsors who historically I've been a big supporter of. I, I don't know. He's your friend. I don't know why Joe supported this bill. It's it's an anathema to what he believes from at least what I've known him to believe. Um, and and the, again, the reality is we're going to pour all this money to give subsidies to things why we're not maintaining the the ability to provide the electricity we're going to be that's going to be needed for these automobiles in the future. Um, why aren't we spending this money on new generation, you know, cleaner gas fired generation, new nuclear, et cetera, getting the transmission lines? And I'll tell you the reason we're not doing it is government is so far in the way. There was an article today, uh, I think, in the journal about a, a uh, utility line. It went from a state that I was very involved with, the state of Iowa, up to the north. It's been in the permitting process for 11 years and nowhere near starting construction. That's the problem we have. And Joe, instead of putting in the bill the permitting uh, expediting uh, activity, they're playing another uh, sleight of hand game. Well, we'll get that later. We're going to get that this fall attached to a budget bill. Well, I guarantee you, you already see the left and particularly environmental groups coming out. They're telling us on one hand that that – Climate change is the existential threat of our planet. We won't have a, a, a planet in nine years. I, I heard the other day on TV 
from, from one of the environmental groups. And yet it takes 15 to 20 years just to permit a transmission line to get electricity where you're going to need it. I'll take these environmental groups seriously when they recognize that you can't have it both ways. You can't. So the way I understand it, what Joe Manchin did is said, listen, I want the permitting process. Uh, I want it uh, streamlined, okay? We want to get carbon capture that allows our coal plants to continue, all right? Well, the parliamentarian said, yeah, that has nothing to do with budget. It doesn't pass. So you have to do a separate page. He agreed to that. Nancy Pelosi sees a separate page. He goes, Republicans probably want that, right? I'm going to attach some things to it that Republicans don't want. So guess what's going to happen? That's right. It'll be another couple hundred billion. And they're going to say, sorry, I can't control Nancy Pelosi. That's right. It'll be a couple hundred billion dollars. And the the several hundred billion dollars that Nancy and her her side wants, they'll get – and we won't get any meaningful change in the permitting process because the left is owned by the environmental movements in this country, and it's not going to happen. The day Joe agreed to that, there was an article about it, and one of the major groups came out and said, that is dead in the water. So, David, maybe you could explain to me maybe better than anybody else. Knowing that all these things are anti-business, knowing that business got to be controlled to contain to remember 2008, I understand that. But knowing things – the way things are. Why are so many CEOs, why are these major corporations voting Democrats, supporting Democratic causes, going along with the divestiture of oil and gas companies? Well, they shouldn't be. Um, but you know what I said is right. Absolutely. Right? You know, they're being intimidated into it. Now, there may be some that actually believe this stuff. Um, I don't know any. The ones that I know are being intimidated into. They're being told by government, you either do what we ask you to do or we will take you to task. And and that's you know it's supposed and, to be a government of the people, not an authoritarian government. But I look at a guy like you. You're very you have a very strong persona, Jack Welch, a very strong persona. I look at Jamie Dimon, very strong. You don't become CEO of these corporations in this tough environment without being leaders with thick skin. Why would you kowtow to that? Well, there's a lot of leaders today that don't have a vision for America. They don't they, they don't think of themselves as a CEO of a company that's part and parcel of a mosaic called the United States of America, that we have an obligation. And so if they can get $15 billion of free tax credits for their product and that moves them ahead of their competitor, they're willing to take it. <clears throat> I've been in the energy industry my whole career, and I've opposed tax credits for wind and solar, even though my company built – Thousands and thousands of them. We tried to what stop. What company was that? Mid-American Energy, today Berkshire Hathaway Energy. We tried to stop getting these subsidies. And if you're going to give them, at least make them useful. For Because they own you after. Well, they own you. And you saw it with GE when Jeff Imelt had to, had to bow down to President Obama because GE got itself too much short-term debt and needed the federal government to, uh, to, uh, to bail, uh, bail out. them out. And suddenly Jeff was the chairman of, the, uh, of his governmental business committee. Um, they, they own you then. And the reality is on these tax credits, what's really absurd is the tax credits don't require these uh, electric vehicles to be more efficient next year. They don't require windmills to be more efficient next year. They don't require solar f- facilities to be more efficient. You just get them for building them. And that's absurd. You know, you're not incentivizing anything. Yeah, no business person is involved there. They don't understand the the end product matters. They at least want to check a box and get reelected. Here's Jennifer Granholm, another embarrassment, my view, Energy Secretary, cut 32. What do you say to the families who simply can't afford this stuff in the first place? If you are low income, 
you can get your home entirely weatherized through the expansion from the bipartisan infrastructure law, a significant expansion. You don't have to pay for anything. If you want uh, heat pumps, insulation, new windows, that is covered. If you are moderate income, today you can get 30% off the price of solar panels. Those solar panels can be financed, so you don't have to have the big outlay at the front. It's a significant incentive. 30% off for middle-class person to buy solar panels, which they don't want? Well, you're falling into the socialist trap. Look at, go look at Argentina and look at when they started subsidizing petroleum and electricity for the home. They now can't raise prices. Politically, if you raise prices in Argentina, you're out. The next guy comes in and panders to, to even give you more subsidies. You know, that's where we're heading. Um, you know, if, if solar and wind are so good and if we have such a good plan, why do we have to give subsidies? You know, why, why do we nobody have to, wants to do it? Why do we have to subsidize electric gas stations when we didn't subsidize petroleum gas stations? Great point. Uh, by the way, Robert Moses, I was just reading his book and he was saying, why do we have to build roads? Those people who made the cars should build the roads because <laughs> that was back then. They're like, why do we have to pave? Uh, they make the cars and want us to make the roads. It doesn't seem fair. He was always looking to turn a profit, <laughs> too. Uh, David Sokol's here. We're going to talk to him a little bit more. His book is out. It's called American Perspective, Defending the American Dream for the Next Generation. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. NBC does this poll and it says uh, 21% of adults say we are headed uh, in the right direction. 21%. Three or four Americans say we are on the wrong track. And 58% say America's best years are behind us. Not good if you're a leader. Not good if you're a citizen. You got to change that. David Sokol with us right now. That's the thrust of his book, American Perspective, Defending the American Dream for the Next Generation. David how do you reverse this pessimism? I think we have to get people back to recognizing that every citizen has a responsibility to be involved in local elections, school boards, city councils, mayors, and then holding our elected officials accountable for what they say they're going to do. We, we have to take control. of every, Remember the founding fathers. It's, it's, it's our government. We the people. Uh, it, it's about us. And we, we've got to take it back. This, this elite group that wants to tell us all how to live uh, we got to throw them out and put people in there that are going to listen to to the consensus of America. You know, but do you think anyone's listening to anybody? Well, unfortunately, it appears not. I mean, when you can mislabel a bill, an Inflation Reduction Act that doesn't have a prayer of reducing inflation, uh, and nobody really stands up and complains about it, uh, yeah, no, I don't think people are listening the way they need to. And unfortunately, this climate shift, if you will, going to no CO2 uh, emissions without any plan to do so, could be the train wreck of, of the next generation. You know, I think it's interesting is uh, Governor Sununu, who tends to be a rational Republican, uh, he weighed in on why the president's approval ratings are not improving, yet he's passing a bunch of stuff. Cut 29. Nationally, the problem is this. We are talking about things that aren't mattering, that don't matter to the voters. The voters care about kitchen table issues. They care about high prices. Yeah. They care about inflation. They care about, you know, having options for their kids in schools. And we're, we're still, I mean, Mar-a-Lago is a very important issue. And January 6th, what happened there is very important. But those aren't driving folks to the polls. Those aren't driving folks uh, in the voting booth. And so we've got to get back in a media, social media, and our, our kitchen table discussions. And if we do that, Republicans across the board can be very successful. And they talk about 
about crime. Crime's another big one. Just final thought on that, David, last minute. Yeah, I think he's right. The governor's right. That people, people care about crime in their neighborhoods. Uh, defund the police obviously was a disaster. Uh, it, again, it was a sound bite without, without any plan, just like uh, rushing to, uh, to solar and wind and these things without any plan is going is to have the same thing. The citizens know what the problem is. Inflation, crime, illegal immigration coming across the border, fentanyl. Those are the things. We need leaders that actually will address those things. And not, not just say it, but, but do it. In many ways, Trump was doing a lot of that stuff, but he did it in a way in which, I guess, rubbed some people the wrong way. We'll see. We have another shot of it. David Sokol, go pick up his book, American in Perspective. Thanks, David. Thank you, Brian. And thanks for the sequel, I should say. <laughs> uh, back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you had a sensational weekend. Uh, and we're back in action today. Uh, looking forward to getting closer to closer to football season, as well as uh, talking to Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour, Governor Mike Dunleavy of Alaska, shortly the 12th governor of that new, relatively new state. Uh, about what's going on there and what's going on here. Uh, they have so much natural in natural resources and so much is underutilized, was about to be utilized, but President Trump lost re-election. And now things are dramatically different. We'll get a sense on that when it comes to oil and gas. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You are seeing a combination of this demonization of the police and progressive prosecutors, which those two things working together are having a terrible impact on the most vulnerable people. It's true. It's the crime, stupid. Dems watch and ignore crime in every major city. It's at intolerable levels. Yes, GOP candidates barely mention it. But guess what? The first one to understand this is what could make or break them will win. Lee Zeldin, J.D. Vance... Dr. Oz, Herschel Walker, I hope you understand that. Number two. The fact that when you're going to go into a former president's house, yet clearly Biden and Garland, they had no strategy, no anticipation about saying we're going to take unprecedented action. So we better have an unprecedented plan for disclosure. Governor Chris Sununu on the idiocy, as it seems right now, of the raid. Trump on offense. Two weeks after the raid on his resort, his legal team plans to go on the offense today, while blowback on the FBI and DOJ has them reeling for now. Number one. I was asking them, hey, where are you headed? And uh, do you think that the border is open? And they said, Joe Biden's border is wide open. We think that he's a great man because he's providing us with so much opportunity, and that's why we're making the trek. That's investigative journalist Savannah Hernandez. Getting worse. That's the story of the border at the Port Authority in New York City as more illegals are sent to New York from Texas on taxpayer, taxpayer, Texas taxpayer dollars. Mayor Adams may be mad at Governor Abbott, but he's got it directed at President Biden. We now have a mini war between the states. That's a new one. Governor Mike Denlevy joins us now. Governor, can you believe what's going on in America within our country? This is literally battling New York against Texas. I got to tell you, Brian, the last, uh, last couple of years here, last two years has been unbelievable for this country. We, uh, we've seen a dramatic uh, change like I, I, don't, I don't think in any, any point in history, maybe with the exception of the late 60s, early 70s. But uh, this is just going from bad to worse. Here's what Nate Silver says, though, when it comes to the election, though. Cut 25. Everywhere you look these days, there's a poll showing the Democrat tied or even leading in states they were expected to lose. 
That includes Tim Ryan in Ohio, who leads by about one point over Republican J.D. Vance in our polling average. Meanwhile, Mandela Barnes led Republican incumbent Ron Johnson by four points in a Fox News poll this week in Wisconsin. And the 538 average in North Carolina shows a dead heat between Democrat Sherry Beasley and Republican Ted Budd. And right now, Dr. Oz trailing in Pennsylvania to a Bernie Sanders wannabe. So, Governor, does it seem like momentum might be leaving your party? Um, I don't I don't think so. You know, the election is still, what, 11 weeks away and um, polls uh, this early have a, uh, have a have a habit to change. Um, but I would say that uh, certainly all candidates, including myself, we have to press the case as to why we should be elected or reelected. And uh, the crime issues, the inflation issues, the lack of energy. Uh, food security, you name it, Brian. I mean, no, those issues are issues that uh, we should uh, we should embrace and explain to the American people that we can fix these issues. Governor, when it comes to oil and gas, how much is unutilized coming from Alaska? How much more could you be doing? Oh well, certainly, uh, we could be uh, we could be uh, probably pumping oil from oil and gas from Anwar in a few years if the Biden administration had allowed us to uh, continue with those leases and develop those leases. We also have a couple of projects that uh, were. Can I ask you something, Governor? How can they how can they stop a piece of legislation that passed? That was involved. That was involved in the president's tax reform, which passed the passed Congress. Yeah, that was in 2017, exactly, Brian. We don't understand it. Um, that's why there's suit. Uh, that's why suits have been uh, filed to uh, to clarify this because we don't get it. It's a law, and for the administration to ignore law, that's troubling for. Uh, it should be troubling for all of us. So you are suing. Yes. I understand, too, the amount of oil and gas going through the pipeline is not as much as it can be. So when people say you guys are pumping to your capacity, that's not true. No, we, we've got a lot of oil in the state of Alaska, billions of barrels more oil. We just have to get a, a little bit of help in allowing us to be able to uh, develop these plays that we have. But um, ever since the administration got into office, it's been a lack of opportunity. It's, it's almost been a cancel culture when it comes to uh, – resources, especially energy here in the state of Alaska. Uh, when you look at what's happening, uh, are the top issues affecting Alaskans, what are they? Uh, certainly inflation, uh, certainly energy, certainly our ability to produce energy to help uh, not just Alaska, but this country. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're lucky up here. We don't have the crime uh, crime situation like they do in the lower 48. We've, we've actually reduced our crime by 30 percent over the last four years. But nonetheless, um, you know, we're even impacted by the border issues up here because um, uh, we, we have a fentanyl issue like other states do. And so uh, it, although we're isolated way up here in the northwest, we're certainly impacted by things that are happening nationwide. So you care about the border. Uh, you see how it's broken. You see the, this, this administration has no interest in fixing it or even addressing it. Here's what Tom Holman yeah. said. Cut for. Since Joe Biden's become president, over 1,200 migrants have died on U.S. soil. That's unheard of in the history of this nation, in over 100,000 Americans. His policies are not humane. They're inhumane. They're killing people. When President Trump had illegal immigration down 83 percent, when it was at a 40-year low, how many Americans weren't dying of fentanyl? How many migrants weren't dying? How many, uh, how many, how many millions of dollars were the cartels not making? How many known suspected terrorists weren't making across the border? This president, it, what he's done is almost treasonous. And every day I wake up, I'm upset. So a lot of first off, you comment on that. Well, I, you know, I, it's interesting. I, I have to commend Governor Abbott in Texas, to be honest with you, uh, for coming up with a creative way to actually share the pain that his state and other border states are going through by um, busing folks in New York and Washington. I, I, I believe it is. And I'm in and, New York. Uh, 
Yeah, and I think they should keep doing it because this is a federal issue. Therefore, the federal government should stand up and protect our borders because a country without borders uh, isn't a country uh, for, too, for very long, to be honest with you. So listen to this, Governor Dunleavy of Alaska joining us now, running for re-election to get another term uh, up in that uh, great state. So guess what? Over the weekend, if you were a legal immigrant, it's good news for you. Uh, they have uh, they had a chance to go to this Lincoln Hospital where everyone got free health care, found out what school they're going to go to. Uh, they also got um, a free phone. So all illegals were told to report to Lincoln Hospital, not to be tossed out, not to have their papers checked, but to get free stuff. But it's not really free, is it? This is taxpayer dollars. Exactly. And, um, you know, I guess it's a good time to be an illegal alien here in America. Not so much if you're an oil or gas producing state, not so much if you're concerned about crime. Um, at times, Brian, it actually feels like our own federal government is punishing us, the American people and states like Alaska, sanctioning us, unlike they do with other countries. And so it's a strange, strange dynamic we're in here the last couple of years. And um, uh, we can only hope that here at the uh, election in November that things change. Governor, uh, Governor Dunleavy, tell me about what's going on with your Native American community. Um, well, you know, we had a we, we filed suit against the federal government uh, because in 1971, when we settled our, uh, our our native claims here in Alaska, and millions of acres were transferred to our native people from the federal government, unbeknownst to all of us, the federal government trans uh, transferred uh, uh, acreage that had contamination on it. Upwards of 650 sites have had contamination on it, and the federal government since that time has not taken responsibility to clean up these sites. And so, in essence. Not only is the land undevelopable at this point, but um, it's a hazard for our people. And so this is another issue where we've had to file suits. And, um, you know, we're going to press the case there as well, because what, what the lands that meant much of the land that was uh, sent to uh, or transferred to Native Alaskans, uh, there are content, there is contamination on some of those lands and it has to be um, has to be addressed. Eskimo community, is it? There's uh, uh, Anupak Eskimo communities, Yupik communities, uh, Indian communities, Alu communities across the, across the state. When you say contaminated, how? Um, former military sites, uh, old uh, contaminated oil wells, uh, and, and, and other, uh, other uh, activities that the federal government conducted for quite some time. They, um, they just left those uh, contaminated sites alone and transferred them to our people, and now we're stuck with them. But again, this was a wrong that we're going to try and right, and uh, we're going to press that case. Uh, just a quick announcement. Uh, Anthony Fauci announced moments ago that he'll step down as director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. He should be ashamed of himself uh, from what he's done, the arrogance which he's shown, his lack of contrition. And even the CDC, when they came out and said, we screwed up, he's like, yeah, uh, I guess they did. Never admitting anything. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, how was he received in your state? Because certain people look at him as a hero. I never have. Um, I, I would say mixed at best, and I think uh, the majority of folks in Alaska uh, that are following the issue with Dr. Fauci probably believe it's past time for him to retire and, and, and ride off into the sunset with uh, probably a very good federal uh, federal pension. Uh, governor Mike Dunleavy, 12th governor of Alaska, wants to keep that job for four more years. Best of luck, Governor. Thank you, Brian. You got it. one 408 I'll come back and open up the phones. Also go to BrianKillMe.com. Quick reminder, uh, it's coming up quicker than you think. September 8th, I'll be at the Egg in Albany. A few tickets left. 
uh, some of which are up front, but the first two rows are now disappeared. So go grab some. And then as VIP opportunities where I get a chance to talk to you before, it's a red, white, and blue show looking back at America's history. We also talk the news. You take part in the show. Uh, it's probably the most fun I have, also live and uh, unscripted. And then we'll be over in Brandon, Mississippi, November 12th, and on the 13th in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Hope to see all of you out there. Just go to BrianKilmead.com. Uh, Don't move. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I think the biggest issue is what we've all been talking about, the fact that when you're going to go into a former president's house, yet clearly Biden and Garland, they had no strategy, no anticipation about saying we're going to take unprecedented action, so we better have an unprecedented plan for disclosure. And the fact that we're weeks in now, they're not showing any cards, they're not showing anything, the lack of transparency, it's infuriating. And that is where they have absolutely blown it, and that's where they've lost the trust of the American people, because it just looks political. But is it worth it? Uh, For example, holding back the Hunter Biden story and getting all those so-called intelligence experts to sign off on it, knowing in a year and a half, no, it was totally true, the the emails could be authenticated, knowing that would happen, they said, still, I'll do anything to make sure Trump's not elected. Is it the same thing with the raid? Try to dislodge four or five percent to get other people to run to make sure Donald Trump is not running, even if it hurts the reputation of the Department of Justice and FBI. Chris Sununu is not somebody you don't think it's Matt Gates, put it this way. You know, you don't think of that and you think, well, that's gotta be Ted Cruz. No, Chris Sununu, who criticized his own party and turned out an opportunity to go to Washington. Pam, you're watching on Fox Nation in Fairfield, New Jersey. Hey, Pam. Yes. Hi. Hi, Brian. Um, I love you. I just, I, we just Thank you. love you here. I love you. I start the day off with Fox and Friends in the morning, and then I listen to Bernie and Sid on the way to work. And then much to my coworkers' dismay, I have you on, and then Jimmy Thaler, and then Guy Benson. Wow. Go home to the five. Yes. And I have to tell you before I forget, Brian, you have the best laugh of anyone that I know on this planet. The best laugh. It makes me laugh every time I hear you laugh. All right. So I'm, I need some more reasons that. to laugh in the news. But this whole right. targeting That's of Donald sure. Trump, are you surprised nothing has panned out yet? I, what's that? This targeting of Trump at Mar-a-Lago, are you surprised nothing has panned out yet? Oh, God. I, I, I'm, I, of course not. I'm, not. I'm not surprised because I feel like I'm demonized the same way that uh, President Trump is. Okay, my from everybody like I don't even talk. I try not to talk politics because I'm, you know, a proud Republican woman, and I believe in. And my girlfriend Mary here is a proud Republican woman. I actually work with Natalie, who used to be Harris's assistant. Do you remember Natalie? Used to be Harris, Harris yeah, Faulkner. Harris Faulkner's assistant, not for very long. Long blonde hair, very pretty. Sure. She she knows you, she knows you, but um, I'm just sick of being you know villainized, and especially in my family, I have a transgender nephew who just okay hates me because I'm a Republican and I listen to Fox News. <laughs> I have a mother that's a Christian that all of a sudden believes in abortion, and. Um, Things that I, I, I just can't even believe it. And I have a sister that says to me, who are you? 
I, I just I just don't know. Like I'm having a hard time finding my place in the party, and I want to uh, volunteer and, and be part of all this. Yeah, I, I can't. I mean, I can't tell you where to volunteer. I don't get involved with candidates, but there's just so many opportunities. To, to volunteer and, of course, the Trump team, the America First opportunities if you're in the New York area. I think they're plentiful. I, I know that Peter King is always, always looking for people. I imagine uh, other uh, congressmen. I imagine Lee Zeldin needs help. So uh, maybe maybe you can get paid, Pam. You don't necessarily have to volunteer. Thanks so much. Debbie, listen to WABC in Queens. Hey, Debbie. Yeah, first, you know, talk about volunteering. I signed up to leave Zeldin over a week ago and haven't heard a word back because we need help in Queens just as bad as Long Island. So you wrote his website? You wrote on his website? Yeah, I went on his website. Yep, I went on his website. I volunteered. Um, they asked me what I wanted to do. I checked off a couple of boxes, and I haven't heard back, and that was over a week ago. Well, I'm sure you will. Uh, we'll have him on this week, Debbie. That's nice of you to do. What's on your mind? Well, you know, they you spoke about Fauci and how, you know, he – your guest said he's going to retire with a big pension. Oh, I why said does he it. Need a pension? He will. Why does, he, why does he need a pension? He wrote a book while he was in office during our crisis. He wrote a kid's book. He made celebrity appearances, which really should be not allowed. You should not allow to write a book about COVID when you're going through COVID and you're in office. He, I'm sure he doesn't even need a pension. In fact, he should probably donate it to all the people that got COVID. He should. I, I mean, listen, I just don't respect him. I think he's a total fraud. And I think he really was detrimental to our country, our learning. He played partisan politics. When he hopped on, when Joe Biden won and he hopped on Rachel Maddow and he said, I'm your biggest fan, that's not like saying I'm John, you know, Johnny Carson. I watched The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. No, she's the most partisan Democrat out there. Very talented. Most partisan Democrat out there. If you say you're a fan of a Rachel Maddow, you are a Democrat. And you showed your stripes by not standing up to Black Lives Matter when they're having protests in the middle of the pandemic while making sure all these kids stayed six feet apart and at home. Meanwhile, six feet apart meant nothing. But the result was you couldn't get kids in school because you couldn't separate the desks that much and keep get, get classrooms full. Uh, thanks, Debbie. Roy, WSKY. Real quick, Roy. Hey, Brian. It's a pleasure to talk to you. First off, about... Uh my point is, Fauci, they're not following this science. They're following the political science. They are. But what I had called you about was, I don't know who had it. You may have had it or somebody on Fox, because that's really where my TV channel walked. But Clinton had some recorded tapes, supposedly in his soccer, along with some other stuff. And a judge made a ruling, a federal judge, that said, no, you can't touch it. That's his. He yep. declassified it. So they set the precedence here for Trump. Enough of this, you know what, just end it, because this is just a political witch hunt. I hear you. I think it's a joke. Taylor Branch was that guy. He said Donald Trump kept all their tapes for the book they were working on together in his sock drawer. And the court says you cannot have it. It's the president's. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. 85% of the people Trump endorsed won. 151 out of 178. Say what you want about Mr. Evil, but boy, what a politician. I mean, that's impressive. In an evil way, but still impressive. (laughs) 
And listen to this. So, and there's 10 members of Congress who voted to impeach him, and he vowed to knock them off. It's so Tarantino movie. <laughs> He's going to get all 10. He got eight out of the 10. Four, four quit because they knew they'd lose and four lost. So that's uh, Bill Moore. Uh, I just think it's significant when people talk like that. And they also t- said some other things about uh, the economy and spending that are very reminiscent of what you should hear from a Republican. Weird times. Uh, Brett, Beer, uh, Brett Baer is not weird. He's chief political anchor for Fox News and anchor special report with Brett Baer. Uh, weeknights at 6. Brett, welcome back. What do you think about the track record where Donald Trump has turned out uh, so far in the primary? For me, the verdict is November. For you? Yeah, I mean, it's impressive so far, really impressive. Uh, and to Bill Maher's point, he set out to take down 10. He actually took down eight, but could have been nine. They didn't uh, put up anybody against one of the people who moved on. And, um, you know, I, you have to respect that. You have to say that that is a political power move. Uh, but I think that the big thing is November and some of these candidates that he chose are uh, having struggles, at least early on. And we'll see how they do long term. All right. So let's talk about that then. Uh, so, for example, J.D. Vance up by one, down by one in Ohio, which has been going redder almost each election cycle. I've not heard much from him, but he, I'm, we're not really supposed to. Right. He should be in his state trying to win that state over. Now in comes the RNC or the senatorial uh, committee, and they've given him twenty eight million dollars to get him going. Right. Yeah. Listen, for the most part, all these races start after Labor Day. That's when everybody starts focusing. That's when the ads kick in. That's when people are back from vacation and everybody says, "Okay, this is the deal. I'm going to pay attention now. But what the measure is, is that how where are they standing heading into Labor Day? And more importantly, how's their fundraising? And for J.D. Vance, traditionally, Republicans in Ohio do really well on the money game. He's not doing really well. And, you know, maybe that changes. Uh, obviously, the the RNC, um, the senatorial committee, um, RSCC, is uh, putting in some significant money. And I think that that's a race that they could could win in red Ohio. I think more troublesome maybe is the Pennsylvania race uh, with Dr. Oz. And, again, it could turn around, but fundraising in numbers – you know, don't look good. And then down in Georgia, that's also a concern. Uh, when you look at uh, Dr. Oz, he's going really against somebody recovering solely from a stroke who is Bernie Sanders wannabe. Even though he doesn't come out and say it, that's what his track record reveals. On the surface, this should not be a problem. Uh, in fact, I see this new uh, Passan poll, poll. I don't know if you've seen this, P-A-S-E-N poll. It shows Dr. Oz one point away with 4.5% uh, of voting for somebody else and 3% voting undecided. So I, I get the sense that things are going to close simply because it's not, it's not Dr. Oz against, uh, against McCormick, who he won in the primary. It, this is, again, Bernie Sanders would not win that race. And this is he is Bernie Sanders. Yeah. No, his policies are you know, way out there. I mean, you look at emptying the jails. You look at uh, drug, um, you know, even— in liberal parts of Pennsylvania, some of his policies are really aggressive. Um, and, you know, Fetterman has not been tapped uh, as far as his negatives. 
But Oz went through a tough primary with Dave McCormick, and McCormick spent a ton on Oz's head, which has repercussions early on. So I agree with you. It's going to close. I think it's, it is of concern for the senatorial committee. So um, the other thing, of course, is uh, Herschel Walker, who's within the margin of error, uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I think that we, we're going to get a chance to see them go head-to-head soon. But to think that Herschel's not doing well, okay, he's not up. But I don't know if you've seen, I think you remember what happened in 2020. They lost both those races. Well, that was the big deal. I mean, it would change the entire trajectory country. of the Supreme Court and for the country. Uh, they win one of those two races. And uh, the whole thing changes. So, yeah. And listen, Georgia is not uh, has proven itself not to be uh, terribly Trump friendly. If you look at the Kemp uh, race in the primary, look at uh, Raffensperger, the secretary of state, um, as opposed to kind of the polar opposite of Arizona, which went very Trumpian. uh, Georgia is the other way. I want you to bring you to the Mar-a-Lago raid. Uh, We're going to find out what the offense is. For the Trump team, Jim Trusty has been is now a Trump attorney. He's on that Mar-a-Lago raid. Uh, there's so many cases with Donald Trump. He's got different attorneys. Here's what Trusty said you can expect this week. Cut eight. Coming soon. It should be something that uh, gets publicly filed. So the whole United States will get to read this thing. And I think that's important to the president. He's been very transparent through this whole process. And as you can imagine, Mark, because I know your, your chops, I know your background in terms of you know, just incredible legal knowledge. This is going to be Fourth Amendment based. You know, the litigation before Judge Reinhardt is all about First Amendment, frankly, uh, media versus DOJ. But we're going to weigh in very strong and very hard on behalf of a president who never should have been subjected to the search warrant. And we're going to be attacking that search warrant. So I guess that's going to be part of it. He also wants a special master over this and and forget about the judge and forget about the DOJ having total control of all this stuff. Will you get any of this? Will you, will the fourth amendment suit stick? Well, I mean, it's a different a- Avenue to it. You know, the first amendment is what the media companies are going at. This is about search and seizure. I think there are elements to it that raise legitimate questions about, you know, why didn't they provide the exact items that were taken? It was very vague. The list on the search warrant, um, I think there's a way uh, that that works, but again, it's up to this magistrate down there. Uh, they're filing in a different court for the Fourth Amendment, I think. So the president says, I have all these people call me, urging me to declare. What would that do to this race? I think for some independent areas, some swing districts, it would make Republicans' job a little tougher. Um, overall, I don't think it would change too much, but along the edges it might, um, because right now Trump is dominating everyday news coverage anyway. Um, <laughs> but I think that it would make a difference in some of those purple places, which is why you're seeing more and more of these forecasts kind of dial back the numbers in the GOP House and and the Senate. So everyone's, everyone's focused on Mar-a-Lago. I got it. On um, With the attorney general and the Trump organization, I understand it. But a lot of experts say, look out for the Georgia investigation. Ricky Kleiman, a CBS legal analyst, weighed in. Cut 18. There is no doubt in my mind that the most risk to the former president is, in fact, the Georgia investigation. 
And one of the reasons I say that is because it has intensified in terms of the number of witnesses that the district attorney is calling before this special investigative grand jury, but also the fact that should not be overlooked is that Donald Trump has hired one of the best criminal defense lawyers in the country in the person of Drew Findling. Drew Findling was a past president of the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers. He is based in Atlanta. He knows how to work within the system ethically and properly, and he's fierce. So does that show you that Trump's dead serious because he does not like spending money? Yeah, he wouldn't hire that attorney if he didn't think it was needed. And um, I agree that this is is the thing that we don't talk about enough, uh, but that case is potentially problematic. So um, I, I understand the grand jury has been seated just to find out if he should be indicted. Yeah, that's what they're saying. And, you know, listen, this is kind of cut and dry. If you think about it, you have to argue the legal case, but it's cut and dry as far as the evidence. You know, if you listen to that phone call, uh, you can obviously make a case that he's trying to affect the Secretary of State's counting. So you make an argument legally. Um, it's maybe not a perfect call this time. So we'll see. You know, we'll see how it goes. But I think it's something we don't talk about enough. All right. Uh, absolutely. And, uh, and Brett, the, the last thing is I want you to hear what 538 is predicting and sees a trend. You know, 538, uh, that outfit uh, by Nate Silver. This is where he's saying where this election seems to be heading. Cut 27. And second, the election isn't being held today. Ryan has a big fundraising advantage in Ohio so far, for instance. But the cavalry is coming with Republicans announcing a $28 million commitment to Vance this week. The political environment may also tilt back to Republicans after a recent winning streak for Democrats given voter anger over the Supreme Court decision on Roe v. Wade and several recent legislative successes for Biden. Still, the 538 forecast now does have Democrats' chances of keeping the Senate up above 60%. Ultimately, I think you have to take these on a case-by-case basis. In Ohio and North Carolina, I buy the Democrat has a chance, but I think the GOP is favored. In Wisconsin, though, the state that Biden actually won in 2020, I think the race is more of a toss-up. Right. Uh, He uh, pointed out that they don't really poll accurately in the past. In Wisconsin, they had Russ Feingold winning. He obviously didn't. And Ron Johnson's used to coming from behind. Yeah. And listen, there was a Marquette poll before the election that had um, Biden up 17, I think. You know, he won by 0.17. So <laughs> maybe they missed a decimal point. I, I, I'm i kind of sick of polls in that we've been wrong so much. I think that I people, you. Uh, you know, just get fed up. And that once they start hearing again and again, this race is whatever, based on the polls, I don't think we've figured out a way effectively to poll a Trump voter who's skeptical of phone calls. And um, there are some polls that do it better than others, but I think you just have to be careful about uh, relying too much on polls. We're going to try and travel the country and go to diners and talk to people and get a sense that way. I told you the story how I took Ubers uh, all over swing states and kind of asked the drivers what they thought. And that that was really a big deal as far as people telling us how uh, how they felt. So I'd be careful about polls. Right. I'd be careful about Ubers uh, because I sometimes really <laughs> wonder about the drivers uh, these days. A lot of them... A lot of them are turning in their keys. Brett, well, you might just—you might you know, be alone with that app. It was a cross section. Was it? All right, Brett. What are your goals this week? 
I'd like to lose a couple pounds. <laughs> How are you? I'm thinking more professionally. Oh, got it, got it, professionally. Um, I, listen, I think uh, setting the table for the election got is, uh, is a big deal, and that's what we're going to do. All right, do it for an hour, no longer. Brett Bear, we're going to watch <laughs> you at 6 and then all over the channel. Thank you. All right, man. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I see you up there. I have a lot more to talk about. I don't want to leave so much sound. I have more to uh, show you about looking at this election, uh, the the Trump raid, as well as is the American dream dead. If you read the New York Times, and I played it down, they actually have a video version of it. You would think the New York, the American dream is dead. It's not. Back in a moment. The fastest growing talk show in America. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Did we really need a taxpayer-funded external review to determine that the CDC is all over the place? I mean, for the last two years, uh, they say one thing, they do another. They tell us one thing privately, they do another. Uh, these guys have been constantly backtracking. And, and so I guess the only good takeaway here is they're acknowledging it. I think they're starting to realize that we are really out of this pandemic. We're moving forward as a country. Uh, local control and local decisions are best made by parents and families. And that was Governor Chris Sununu. I thought it was outstanding over the weekend. Anthony Fauci has announced in December he'll retire. Can it please start right away? I, I believe that he's a total phony. I think he's a fraud. He comes out like everybody's uncle and grandfather. Uh, but he's arrogant, unable to see the folly of his ways. He thinks he knows better than everybody. He's been on all side of all issues. Uh, so I'm glad he's going to be gone. Let's go to Joe, WRCN. Hey, Joe. Brian, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. And we're all rooting for Master Peak. With yeah, they're down 3 1 in the third right now uh, on ESPN. Oh, but it's not I, over. Not over. They're going to do. Oh, it's far from over. Yeah, come on. Now, we, now I didn't know it was on. I thought it was tomorrow night. Right all now. Right. We're going to root for him. But I want to talk about this uh, egregious FBI raid, the strong um, raid down there under the guise of classified documents, the nuclear. My wife thinks this was meant to humiliate Melania. She says it was demeaning, disgusting, and a stranger touches your clothes because a woman's closet, unbeknown to me, is a sanctuary place along with a person's home. And if this violation happened to Michelle Obama, Democrats would be burning cities down, rioting in the streets, and the FBI violated the sanctity of the home. They're a political arm, as far as I'm seeing at this point. They didn't need to be a strong arm for the Democrats. They're acting like the Gestapo. Now, that raid, I believe, was done to let everyone know that we can do this to the president. Think what we'll do to you. Shut your mouth and obey. <laughs> and the Democrats, Brian, they don't care the political fallout. They'll lose in midterms 2024 as long as it's not President Trump the president. That's what they're Maybe worried right. about. Maybe this is their greatest New York Post uh, story that they're going to uh, uh, drop the Hunter Biden emails. They knew it was wrong, but they took the risk to neutralize President Trump. But he still got 74 million votes. Joe, always great. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. You know this was coming. San Francisco chocolate shop in Chinatown keeps getting robbed, so they're now getting kung fu lessons from their management. Mindy Fong, owner of Jade Chocolate Tea House and Cafe, 
told the Chronicle of San Francisco that she decided to hold Kung Fu classes for employees beginning in late March because of theft. Hate crimes also against Asians so they could defend themselves. That's sad, but that's the story. Next, former NBA star Dennis Rodman will be trying to get Brittany Griner out. He says he's got permission to go to Russia to try his hand. They're both 6'8". They both play basketball. He said, quote, I got permission to go to Russia to help that girl. All right, maybe not the most politically correct statement. His public information, the administration has made a significant offer to the Russians, but they're not jumping on it. Rodman has cultivated a relationship with the North Korean leader. Think it'll be successful, Pete? Dennis Rodman, I don't see him being successful as uh, getting anybody out of jail. Next, a stunner for the UFC 278. Leon Edwards shocks uh, champ Kamaru Usman. Listen to this. Cut 36. Leon Edwards wins on a crazy uh, roundhouse. Uh, Edwards stunned the crowd the first round when he became the first person to take Usman down. He utilized a a trip from the clinch to put the champion on the mat and actually worked towards getting a rear naked choke after the first bell rang. It appeared like Usman was going to cruise to another title defense when Edwards knocked out the champion with a stunning left thigh kick. They immediately ended Usman's night. You got to see the look on Joe Rogan's face. I, you have to ask Eric, too. I made sure when I came in this yeah. morning, Eric, you got to see what this guy's face looked like, Joe Rogan. And he was like, it was like he was in, having convulsions. Next, what's the perfect pace for drinking? Smart drinkers say it's two beverages an hour. Really? That's a teetotaler. But that's a smart drinker. Results show that 65% of those who drink alcohol claim they've mastered knowing what and how much to drink. That's why I drink beer. Because I keep the number. And you followed it with a melon ball shot. Right. No, well, that was one time. I don't really know much about shots. But I know this. Go to the egg, September 8th, BrianKillMe.com, Albany, New York. Few seats left. Then Brandon, Mississippi. And then in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.